The Temple Studio is available for all of your recording, mixing, and mastering needs, whether it's on location or via internet file exchange. Located in the San Fernando Valley, the Temple has 40 physical inputs for live ensemble tracking and a production team with over 30 years of experience. To book time, call 213-840-1770 or email tchadt at me.com. Welcome to the Dive Bar Rockstar Podcast, a show exploring the lives of professional musicians of all types, touring musicians, recording artists, songwriters, engineers, bar bands, wedding bands, and anyone making their living in the music industry. Whether you've dreamed of being a professional or you already are one, this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Eric Baines, and I hope that you not only find some entertainment here, but also some helpful tips, trade secrets, and ideas that will help you achieve your dreams. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I'm really excited about the guest today. Uh, she is a bass player, an incredible singer, songwriter, an orchestrator slash arranger, um, and a musical director. So she wears many hats, has many titles, as many of us do and wear, because it's kind of what's required to make a living a lot of times in this crazy music business that obviously right now is significantly slowed. Um, but, uh, we're, we're getting through it. She's also a fellow Berkeley alum, although she graduated something I failed to do. And, and, uh, she's played with some of my favorite bands like five for fighting and vertical horizon and air supply. And she's also played with Rita Wilson, Denny Lane, Peter Asher, Terry Sylvester, Chuck Negron, Julianne Huff, and many more. You can check it out on her website. She was also in the band called Las Chicas, and that was a house band for a Mexican TV show called Noches con Platanito, which you have to check it out on YouTube. It's it's kind of indescribable. It's basically a talk show hosted by a guy in a in a in a wig and a clown face. So it's 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 unbelievable. Um, I would highly suggest checking that out on YouTube. And uh, right now she's working on a record with uh, Billy Sherwood from the band Yes. So please enjoy my conversation with Jennifer Joe Oberly. Awesome. Well, let's let's start with the the Billy Sherwood album. How did that all happen, and how did you guys meet? Oh, uh, this is hilarious. Um, well, uh, Sean Weitzman, uh, who uh, works for Arturia, uh, invited me to see Yes at the Ford Amphitheater a cool. couple of years back, and um, after the show, we ended up you know meeting everyone in the band, and uh, I met Billy that night. And yeah, we kind of we kind of hit it off, and also he found out about my um, my tribute to Kate Bush. Oh, so, cool! Yeah, so so that was like the uh, the main connection that was happening, and you know he heard my voice, and he said, "Well, you know, listen, I have this project, and I need a singer for you know, that. I need a singer for." And um, yeah, then like a couple of weeks later, I did one track, and uh, the other guy that's in the band, uh, Sepand from uh, Days Between Stations. Uh, he, he liked the track, so I ended up being the lead singer for this project. And it was so strange, but it was oh, awesome. Cool. 
it, it was really cool because you know Billy writes a lot for Yes as well, and you know he wow. has a long he has a long history with Yes, you know, right. from, back from the eighties, you know, and and you know he was Chris's pick to wow. you know uh, to to carry on the legacy, carry on the legacy, <laughs> exactly, wow. exactly. So you know Billy is a super talented guy. And, um, yeah, he wrote a lot on the project and, you know, the, the vocals I had to sing were very much like, you know, John Anderson, John Anderson, very it, cool, very straight, you know, hardly any inflections. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it was just a really, really awesome experience. There was a lot of, you know, harmonies, a lot of layers, a lot of, you know, off time stuff that you would hear right. on a so yeah it's like it's it's uh kind of my intro to Prague. <laughs> <laughs> wow that's very cool i saw yes actually in worcester but when i was at berkeley like 1991 um he wasn't on it was the tour where they had every like all the original guys like two uh trevor raven and oh, steve now and yeah anderson wakeman bruford and how and what alan white yep yeah was it the Union Tour? Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I saw that in Worcester, Mass. <laughs> I saw that in the Meadowlands in New Jersey. Oh, cool. Yeah. Those are great. So, oh, now, so good. And now to be, I mean, that's such a great story right there. Anyway, you went to a concert and you got a gig, <laughs> you know, with the, that's, that's pretty cool. That's like it a was, dream come true kind of thing. Yeah, and it was really surreal. It was extremely surreal. And and we called it the settlements because we were all going through our divorces at the oh, same time. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. And you know, oh, I just wanted to say too, you know, it was my intro to performing in a Prague situation. Like, you know, I did a lot of the rush tributes that you would see in, you know, the jams, but but you know, this is kind of legit, you know, it's right. really you know, yeah. so it was super exciting. You know, and my voice sounds very different than what I would normally do on other kinds of gigs. So, yeah, it was really, um, it, yeah. it was a special experience. And great. And where did you record? Uh, I recorded in Billy's studio. Yeah. Um, here in LA. Yeah, here in LA. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. cool. So you you just uh, did you play any bass on it or? just singing no, i just sang i just sang but you know the intention is for me to you know perform you know playing and singing you know oh, which cool. will be fun it, it'll be fun yeah. very you, yeah you think that's kind of freeing sometimes to be able to put the bass down and just sing oh definitely especially when i was doing the kate bush tribute yeah. you know it's it's a very demanding position to be a lead singer especially when you're singing kate's stuff yeah. and uh, you know i've done a lot of other tributes i sing a lot of you know no about no doubt stuff and you know when i'm working with that band i have someone else play bass while i sing you know it's great to do it all but what i find is that just because you could doesn't necessarily mean you should <laughs> definitely yeah, yeah. And it's much more, I mean, for me as a singing bass player as well, it's like, it's m much more enjoyable to do one or the other sometimes. It depends on the style of music for sure. But like, because in a way, it's like the bass is pulling you one way with your brain. It's to be very with the groove and on beat. And then your voice wants to kind of go other places. And it's a very, 
It's a very, um, I don't know what you would call that, but it, it takes your brain and twists it up a lot, you know? And sometimes that could be fun. And sometimes I'm just like, oh, I could be such a better singer if I wasn't playing and I could be such a better player if I wasn't singing, you know? Yeah, it definitely requires a lot of focus. I know that my approach to playing bass too is all about listening. So right. if I hear something that's somewhat distracting or something that I need to you know, uh, navigate as a bass player, it's going to take away from my vocal. Right, right, exactly. You know, and, and unfortunately in LA, there are so many, I mean, I am grateful to have so many different projects and so many, you know, hats to wear. Mm -hmm. But because of that, you know, the chances of me doing the same gig you know, a couple of times a week, right, are, right. It, it's unlikely, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so so I, I end up working with a lot of different people, mm. you know, it's always a random kind of situation. So I'm getting used to these new players. I'm right. feeling how they play. I feel how their, their time is. And, mm. you know, it's, it, there's a lot of, you know, balancing that needs to happen when I'm singing and playing, you know? Right. For sure. So who who were some of your favorite bassists like coming up? Oh, coming up. Well, oh, you know, whenever from when you started playing bass and paying attention to it, because you know, I mean, bass is one of those things that kind of gets lost until you start to play it, and you're like, oh, now you can hear it in all the records, and like now you're focusing on it. Like who who did you hear first and like really enjoy their playing? Oh wow. Well, you know, when I first started playing, I was uh, I was dating a blues guitar player. So I was all about, you know, Edgar and Johnny Winter. Oh, very cool. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember the, you know, uh, uh, one of Johnny's bands were uh, the, the rhythm section for Double Trouble. I think that the bass player was Tommy Shannon, right? Was that his name? Yes, I think that's right, yeah. And I'll then, look it uh, up and correct it if it's wrong. Okay, that would be great. <laughs> and then, um, you know, I was a huge Edgar Winter fan. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I listened to his records, uh, the White Trash records. I don't know if you're familiar. I'm not uh, familiar, but I'm going to yeah, go check them out now that you've brought it uh, up. They're so killer. They are so killer, especially uh, the live album, which is called Roadwork. And it's uh, with Rick Derringer and oh, uh, yes. Johnny's, uh, Johnny's got a spot in it. And they do a killer version of Tobacco Road. And yeah, and uh, the bass player on that is a, a guy named Randy Joe Hobbs. And... Um, yeah, the the guys I used to play with in Brooklyn, they were all blues guys. Gotcha. They were all about like uh, they were all into old school stuff, um, and you know, self taught. You know, so we were all about you know jamming, mm -hmm. and so so those were the first bass players I got into. But then you know, I I was always a big fan of music. I had a huge record collection. You know, I, I lived around the corner from Zigzag Records, one of the popular uh, record stores in Brooklyn back in the day, and um, yeah, I had a huge collection. So I would uh, I would play. I would just play to records, right? So, you know, I would play to the Motown stuff. And then later on, I found out it was James Jamerson. And then I was a huge Aretha Franklin fan. So I would, you know, listen to a lot of Jerry Jamat, Chuck Rainey. Um, I think his name is uh, David Hood or, yeah, I think it's David Hood. And, um, and then, of course, The Police. I was a huge, and I'm still a huge Sing fan. Um, and Rush, you know, Getty Lee. You know, so my... my my favorites are all over the map. Um, uh, yeah, and I know I'm going to regret not saying someone. Like, of course, <laughs> Paul McCartney, 
right. John Jones, mm. you know, Chris Squire, John Entwistle. You know, I was all about all of those players, um, especially like players that were in bands. Like, like you know, the session guys, I didn't know much about until I went to Berkeley. Gotcha. Um, like Freddie Washington. I was a huge Freddie Washington fan. Marcus Miller. I, I didn't realize I knew Marcus Miller's work until I got to Berkeley. Right. Um, and, and also at Berkeley, uh, I was in the Tower of Power Ensemble. So I was a huge Rocco Prestia fan. Yeah. Huge. And, and I think a lot of my technique comes from that because, you know, I had to shed a lot. You know, I had to do a lot of like left-hand muting. Right. And, you know, I find myself doing like when I get asked to play more funky stuff, I do a lot of like, you know, um, you know, uh, muted stuff with my left hand. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so Rocco, but um, also a, a big hero of mine. Uh, the, uh, one of my favorite bass players uh, still is Tim LaFay. I don't know. Oh, him. yeah, yeah. And um, I was, I, I, I'm so grateful to be his friend, and, you know, we're, we're good friends, and, um, and he's continuing to kick ass and take names, and he's all about reinventing himself, and he's all, all about being his own artist, his own player, you know, I love right. that. I love uh, fearless musicians, you yeah. know, that, that, you know, it, it's, it's great to be able to mold yourself into another player, you know, for a gig, but mm -hmm. there's something to be said about having your own voice on your instrument. And that's right. something he definitely has. And that's something that most of those bass players have. They have their own voice in their instrument, you know, from their instrument. It's, it's an extension of themselves. And, um, you know, right. that's, yeah, you know, that's what turns me on, you know, with with all those players. Yeah, and it's interesting that you liked more um band guys in bands because I think in a band you have more freedom to have your own voice versus being a sideman where you're sort of emulating a record that might have been made or you're or even if you made the record you're emula emulating that or you're you're sort of at the mercy of somebody else's art, you know. Whereas yeah. bands it's like what do you have to say? That's what makes a band a band, you know. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. I miss that. Uh, I feel like in the future, I'm going to do a lot more original stuff for that reason. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, you know, being, you know, being a full-time freelance bass player, again, you know, I I'm playing a whole bunch of different styles with random people. I just never know where the next gig is going to come from as much as, it, as it's a gift and I'm grateful for the experience, you know, I, I do need to remind myself that, you know, there was a, a part of me that wanted to have the artistry in right. my playing, you know, I, I wanted that experience. Um, right. So, you know, I, I hope to do more of that in the future. Yeah. Well, you've been in a couple of my favorite bands actually. So I guess we should just talk about it. Sure. We can start with five for fighting. Yeah. One of my favorite He's not, it's not really a band though. Really. It's, it's he, John on Jurassic. Yeah. yeah, it's John. But, uh, how was that experience? Um, well, that was definitely a pivotal mo moment for me. Um, because I, I didn't even expect to get that audition. Um, it, I got that through a friend of mine, Paul Ill. Um, he's a bass player. He, he did a lot of work with Linda Perry and a whole bunch of other bands. Um, he met, he met me at the Kibitz Room Jam. And, um, 
you know, he sat me down and he's like, Hey, Jen, what do you want to do with you? You know, what do you want to do? And, and, you know, at that time I was still married. So I said, you know, I want to see the world before I have my kids. Mm-hmm. And, and then he was like, well, you know, you, uh, you should definitely do that. And then this other guy on the other side, he was just like, no, no, have your kids. You know, it's, it's not worth it. <laughs> and, and Paul was like, how dare you say that to her? And then, <laughs> so like they had it out. Like, you know, you know one guy was like, an, you know, a former, you know, executive. And then, you know, Paul is just like, you know, letting him have it. And then um, <laughs> a couple of months later, he, he, uh, he uh, uh, left a message and he told me that Five of Fighting's looking for a bass player. And we all think that, uh, it has your name written all over it. And um, I got the audition. And uh, I, I I don't remember a time where I prepared more for an audition. Like, yeah. you know, I transcribe it. You know, the music definitely spoke to me. Mm-hmm. You know, John's music and his voice and, and the messages in his music definitely, um, you know, uh, connected with me. And, 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 you know, the bass lines were just gorgeous. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when I got that audition, it was, it was a huge shift in, in my career out here for sure, because I, I think a lot of, a lot of people were auditioning and, uh, you know, um, it kind of put my, my name in the map, you know, out here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, John is amazing. He's just yeah. a brilliant man. Um, he, he does a lot for different charities and his family is just so, uh, they're just so warm and kind. And um, it was a great experience uh, traveling with them and doing all these shows and playing with Randy is, is awesome. Yeah, Randy yeah. Cook. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, Charlie yeah. Paxson. And, and um, yeah. You know, it's just monster drummers. Monster drummers, you know, <laughs> it's just a great experience. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, the other band that I think I've told you before, but like vertical horizon is one of my, one of my, well, they're that first record that everything you want is probably one of my top five favorite records of all time. Um, and you were in that band for a while as well. Yes. Yes. Uh, several years. Um, and I didn't even audition for that, that gig. Um, it was, it just kind of, um, I, you know, my, my ex was in that band and, you know, I, I got to know Matt and I remember one day we were, we were hanging out, um, where was it? Norm's music. Uh, right. It's mm-hmm. yeah. The guitarist. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we were just jamming and, you know, Matt and I have a lot of similar, uh, we have similar taste in music. Like he loves Kate Bush, he loves Rush, he loves Maiden, you know. So we were always <laughs> like kind of back and forth with all these songs that we loved and stuff. And you know, uh, you know, I would, I went to a, you know, we we were just like testing out guitars and basses, and and I was just kind of jamming with him. And then um, a couple months later, so th- this is a great story because it ha- it really didn't have much to do with my ex. It it had mm-hmm. something to do with a drummer named Ryan Brown. Oh, and yeah. So from Denver, actually, is he from Denver? Right. I didn't know that. Yeah. You mean the um, Dweezil Zappa? Yes, yes. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, he's originally from Denver, where I'm from. I didn't know that. Oh God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, he's an amazing drummer and a great friend, and he's also a huge Rush fan, right? Yeah, right. So he went to the Rush show, and uh, Matt was 
sitting right next to him. And they just started talking and, 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 and Ryan mentioned that I just got the five for fighting gig. And then, you know, and then shortly after that, like, you know, Matt's girlfriend is like, you got the gig. That's amazing. That's amazing. You know? So I, I think that's what made him see me as a professional. Right. Instead of the wife. Mm. And, and then, uh, you know, he, he ended up, uh, asking me to do a gig in uh, Denver, Colorado and gave me like, Oh God, I think it was like 20 songs or something. And yeah. And it was, uh, you know, luckily I knew all the songs in my head, you know, and it was, you know, the cramming was just a lot of fun, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I had, you know, there was no audition. There was no rehearsal. You know, we go to sound check and there's all these tech issues like we can't even get sound on stage, you know, we're uh, using in-ears, you know how it is with the in-ears. Yeah. It, it, there's always these problems. And then, um, and I remember I had like a little cheat sheet, you know, on the side where I was like, okay, you know, just in case, you know, I need something. And I left it in, in the, uh, uh, in the trailer. And, and I, you know, I started panicking once, once I got, you know, actually the first song i played with matt was on the gig like not at the the sound check it was right when we started to play wow and it was amazing because you know at that point i i don't know if you've ever had a situation like that but yeah but it's like you're definitely in the hot seat you know you have to deliver Mm -hmm. there's a lot of you know you you don't want to fuck it up you know you don't want to screw up and you know you want to make a good impression and, you know, there I am just kind of panicking that I don't have this cheat sheet. And then it just kind of occurred to me, well, you know, you're already, you're already on stage. You might as well just have fun with it and don't stress. Right. And, and I did. And it was just, it was awesome. It was just such a joyous show. And um, Matt is an incredible guy, another great guy. And, um, you know, I got to travel to, to Guantanamo Bay with him and wow. the troops. And that's crazy. Um, yeah, yeah, we did a symphony show in Waikiki. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a lot of really great experiences with Matt, too. He's still a dear friend. And uh, yeah, that's that's I have nightmares like that on the on the reg. <laughs> even during this, even during this COVID, when I'm not even working, I've been having these stress dreams of like, I get to the stage and I forgot to learn all the songs, you know, no matter yeah. like be any kind of gig, but well, that's, uh, y- you know, I think we both had that situation with air supply, didn't we? Right. Yeah. Yeah. When I, when I got, you know, got called to sub for them, cause that was kind of a weird situation actually, cause I was subbing for Derek and then the Dwight gig came up that I've played. Right. So I had to sort of, jump off and you got the call to sub for me subbing for Derek. You know? um, but um, so I'm sure the, the pressure was worse on you because I had a lot more time to learn the songs. Oh, you did? Yeah. Cause I mean, I probably knew for a good six weeks before the gig and I, f- um, I feel like you got the call like a week and a half or something. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I think the whole it was situation like- was awful. I felt really bad about it, but um yeah, it was a it was the week of I think, or like a week ago, a week prior. Yeah, um, and actually, vertical was the same way. It was. That, oh wow! Yeah, it was the week prior. And that's just how it happens, you know. A lot of times, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, for sure. 
But this recent okay. time that I just I just uh, subbed with Air Supply again in January, and I had like the the charts on my iPad, but I had once again like memorized everything, and I was just gonna not use them and go out and you know challenge myself and impress myself. And I I, I had them in my suitcase, but. I was like, for the sound check, we just played and we did a couple of songs and it was all good. And then Aaron McLean, the musical director, he goes, oh, you're not going to use any charts? And I was like, I just panicked all of a sudden. Like, I know I know all this material. You know, I've once again <laughs> spent it, like two weeks just learning it and memorizing it. But just the idea that it was like, just that challenge in my head. I was like, you know what? I'm going to get my charts anyways, just in case. <laughs> right. Like, you totally psyched me out. But, um, and that's a weird it's a, it's a hard show. It's not, they don't play their music like the records, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff to know in that air supply show. Yeah. There's some details in those arrangements for sure. And then they have, Oh, they have us going out in the front of the stage too. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's, like, so it's, it's, like, it's our moment, right? We yeah. need choreography. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We go to stage, right. And then center stage. And yeah. And you're like, Oh, I've, Glad I learned this one. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, like dragging my charts behind me. It's not. Gonna work, you know? <laughs> oh man! Awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was a fun gig, though. Yeah, I love that gig. It's a lot of fun. Oh, you know, I was going to mention too that Sean Hurley was the original Vertical Horizons bass player, right? Another Berkeley yep. guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and he just last I heard he was playing with John Mayer, right? Yes, yes, he is. What's really funny is that um, I ended up on a gig with Sean, one oh, of my weird. Fleetwood Mac, one of the symphony shows, the Fleetwood mm -hmm. Mac one. He played bass. <laughs> oh, wow, crazy. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah, cool. I, I got to sing all, uh, sing all the Stevie stuff. Oh, so, funny. Yeah, yeah I was going to bring that up earlier, actually, because as far as us hanging out and talking, it's like we're bass players, so there's never two bass players on a gig. Like, bass players don't, we don't hang that much because we're never on the gig together, you know, yeah. but there you go. Sometimes it happens. Yeah. And actually there's been a couple of other times that's happened too, where, you know, I do a lot of lead singing and like some MD work. Right. And, um, yeah. It's, it's always great to, uh, bass players are my favorite musicians. I mean, they're just so yeah. fun and they just got the best personalities. And I don't know. Uh, I, I think we're lucky to be bass players. I think so. Like I said, I was bitter about it earlier in this interview, <laughs> but now I'm, I'm, I'm coming around to it again. I think I'm, yeah. <laughs> um, and another gig that we did that I only did it once, but I think you've done it a bunch is the Peter Asher um, yeah. extravaganza. I don't even know what to call it. It's like a, it's, it was the coolest, craziest show I'd ever seen, but it was another situation just like you described Vertical Horizon where I met him about three songs into the show. Right. Like we, we started playing, he comes on, does three songs. And then there's a multimedia thing where the video is playing and he came over to me. And he's like, Hey man, how's it going? I'm Peter. <laughs> like, Hi, how's it going? I'm Eric. And then the show ended, he left the stage and I never even, never even got to talk to him or anything really. But, but, um, but it's kind of amazing. Like he's, I, I think of him as like the Forrest Gump of rock and roll. He was just <laughs> everywhere in this, like the history of, of pop music in a weird way. And then he talks about it for three hours and that's his show, you know, and then we, you play a couple of songs in there. He's quite the Renaissance man of rock. 
Um, and I had a similar experience where I met him on stage at the cutting room uh, when he did his show, and it was the same thing. And and I don't know about you, but I was mesmerized by all of the images and the videos. Oh, um, you know, just hearing you know Paul McCartney sing "World Without Love" with just him and his acoustic, mm -hmm. and seeing the napkin with his writing on it. It was just. There were so many surreal moments about his show that I was I was kind of panicking because I, I wanted to stay focused on my next cue. Right. <laughs> but I was like turning around like, wow, this is cool. I didn't know this. I didn't know that, that he, yeah. he was such a, a part of so many people's careers. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and what's amazing is that every show he adds something different. There's wow. always something new. You know, even, you know, now he's like in his upper 70s and he's got this, you know, um, uh, serious XM uh, show, radio show uh, oh, for the, uh, about the Beatles oh, called oh, From yes. BTU. And it's right. huge. And he just, uh, uh, he just published a book, The Beatles A to Z. And, you wow. know, he just, he, he just uh, received, uh, uh, he was a, he's a commander of the British, uh, uh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> British stuff. Yeah. British stuff. <laughs> stuff. But uh, he, yeah. he, he's just everywhere. And, you know, yeah. he, he started with Peter and Gordon in, in the early sixties and, and, you know, his act was one of the first to play the Sullivan show. Wow. Incredible. And then he went to, to be the CEO of Apple Records, discover James Taylor, and, and become, you know, Linda Rodstadt's manager and producer and, you know, skyrocket her career. And he did that with so many other artists. And it's just really surreal, you know. Yeah. I look at him as a guy that just proves that you could constantly reinvent yourself in this business. You know, right. you don't always have to just play one instrument. You don't always have to be an artist. You could go on the other side. You could produce. You could manage, um, and you could be a publisher. You could you you could uh, publish a book, and you could have a podcast. You know, right, it, right. It's 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 such a you know it, it's really amazing to have this time where we could really sit and figure out what our next move is going to be yeah. because a lot of people are, are scrambling now. People don't know what, when their next gig is going to be. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, when you see someone like Peter, he figured out a way, you know, he's got, he's got his show. You have this podcast, you right. know, a lot of people are doing creative things now. It's, yeah. it's really, and I wouldn't really have the time or the, the energy of the opportunity to do this without this big pause. So you grew up in Brooklyn. Yep. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Sheepshead Bay. How did that, how do you think that influenced your, your musicality growing up in like the center of the universe? You know, <laughs> like New York city is such a cool, that's where all the cool stuff comes from. Yeah. Well, Brooklyn, where I grew up, uh, it was a little bit further away from Manhattan, you know, New York city mm -hmm. as they call it. Um, and I was a self-taught bass player. Uh -huh. um, I, I ended up, you know, like they, like they say, you know, teach a teach someone to to play a C, and you play a C, and the next week teach someone a G, and then all of a sudden you have a gig. You know, it right. was kind of <laughs> like that. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I just ended up, you know, just using my ears 
and and it, things just started picking up you know it was just like mm -hmm. one of these things that it was like oh cool I'll, I'll do this it was a lot of fun and and it just it, it just there was this instant magnetism between me and, and the bass like i i wow. played a lot of other instruments prior to that but um something about the bass just uh you know it was just like this gravitational pull you know wow then, very cool you know, you know and sure enough i was you know what what used to be a hobby became you know, my profession. So, wow. So you never sort of had this epiphany of I'm going to be a professional musician. It just sort of. Happened. Well, it, it actually did happen. Uh, when, uh, I, I was burning the candle at both ends. I had a day job. I was working in the city and, um, I was up for a promotion and, you know, I, w I was definitely qualified, you know, let's mm -hmm. just put it that way. And because I was always working at night, I was kind of over, you know, compensating. I was, I was, you know, working even harder just to prove that I can do it all, you know, trying to be the superwoman. And, uh, you know, they told me that in order to get this promotion, I would have to quit music, you know, quit wow. my gigs, you know, because it, it would be more demanding. And I lied and I said, you know, I, I would do it for this job. And, and sure enough, you know, they, gave it to someone else and i was like okay well that's my cue wow. i'm getting out of here and then sure enough um you know it was a uh, independence day weekend and i remember because i was like yo i'm free i'm free at last you know and mm -hmm. and sure enough that was kind of like my calling like all of a sudden i was like okay i'm i'm applying for berkeley i'm gonna you know cash in my 401k i'm gonna you know make this happen and uh yeah it's, oh, that's uh, cool yeah, it was pretty crazy. It's nice when those big <laughs> decisions are made for you in a way, you know? Oh, most definitely. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. In, in that circumstance, it definitely worked in my favor, for sure. And you were always playing music? Were you a musical kid? And uh, Yes, yes. Um, I, my, my mom, uh, she's, she just has this natural ability. And uh, my grandfather, I, uh, he died before I was around. But, you know, he had his own orchestra. Oh. And um, there was always instruments in the house. So, you know, I, I would end up just picking up different instruments and figuring it out. And um, the, I, I went from violin to piano to drums and clarinet. And um, bass kind of came around a little later. Um, That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of find that like most bass players, it wasn't necessarily the first choice. Like a lot of times you're just like, well, there's no one else who's going to play the bass, so you got to do it. Or, you know, like, but it sounds like you, you kind of started like that, but then you took a liking to it. Well, yeah, I, I always loved groove. You know, I, I, yeah. I, you know, some of my first gigs, I was a drummer. I was a drummer in a, like a glam punk band. And, uh, and it was a lot of fun, but it was a lot of lugging. You know, like a lot of stuff to, to carry and, you know, I'd, I'd get all sweaty at the end of the night and it was like, uh, you know, right. I should do something different. And, and uh, yeah, I think, um, God, I think it was, um, I was dating some guy and he was a bass player and he, you know, I picked up the bass and I was just like, I, I just figured it out. It was just one of those things that was just so intuitive. Right. You know. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, knowledge of the drums is pretty vital for a bass player so it's i'm kind of the same way i started on drums and went went to bass um and i think that's helped me as a bass player immensely because obviously yeah. that's our job is just to 
be with the drums, you know? (laughs) Sure. Yeah. I always say I'm just a frustrated drummer. (laughs) I'm kind of a reluctant bass player really. Cause I'm, I call it my day job really, but if I always wanted to be the, the guy with the guitar at the front of the band singing, you know, not the, like the dude in the back, just laying down the low notes, but. But you're also a singer though. Yes. Yes, exactly. So, you know, I worked it out eventually, but. (laughs) <laughs> but I don't know. There was something more rock and roll about playing guitar. Mm, just too much work for me. <laughs> <laughs> but what's really funny is that, you know, during this quarantine, that's what I've been doing. I've been playing more guitar than anything else. Yeah. Because now I have the time. Right. You know? Yeah, and, that's uh, cool. Yeah, and also, you know, we have to figure out a way to, to perform. And yeah. I'm not one of those people that, that just feels comfortable like oh look at me playing a group like look at me playing this you know um right I, you know especially since i i've done a lot of cover gigs you know so um i've been using this opportunity to kind of brush up on my keyboard skills and my guitar skills and i did a couple of quarantine shows and you know That's cool. it's it, it's humbling it's humbling yeah. to try yeah. to do it all you know you see a lot of our, our friends are are you know they they're taking yeah. some chances you know and it's yeah. working it's working you yeah know? yeah it's pretty cool i was just like scrolling through facebook before we started and it's friday night and so many people do their shows on friday night so now it's like instead of bar hopping you're just facebook hopping from from one performance to the next you know it's kind of cool i mean i don't if, if that's something positive that can come out of all of this then that's great yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's, it's a way to continue connecting with people. And again, it's, it's a way to, to start tapping into other skills that, you know, you might not have had the time to, you know, work on in the past, you know. Right. Like being a podcast host. Yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> awesome. We'll, see. we'll see. I don't know. I'm a good editor. How about that? Oh, good. <laughs> Uh, and then you mentioned you went to berkeley like like as like i did oh Uh, yeah when when did you go i was there like 91 to 93 awesome Awesome. and uh did you like it there i loved it um and it it was also another humbling experience i i went a little later because you know i i told you i had a day job prior to it right and um and i went and and i made sure i I took some lessons before I went. <laughs> I met with this guy, Patrick Pfeiffer, um, in, in New York, like in the uh, Upper West Side. And I, I took, I think, like three or four lessons with him. And, you know, just to get, you know, an idea of what to expect. Right. And um, I went and, and it was so much fun. It was so much work, uh, so humbling. And it was just a, a really beautiful experience being just totally immersed in, in music and all styles and just learning a whole bunch of different skills. Again, yeah. you know, sight reading and all that. And, uh, you know, Latin and um, what else? And, you know, uh, walking bass lines, you know, like understanding mm-hmm. jazz in a deeper right. way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great, great school. And Boston's such a great town too. Lots of good music there. Who are your teachers? Um, oh man, it's been so long now. Uh, uh, Danny, he played in the Calypso band, Calypso Hurricane. Uh, he was my favorite guy. The like, Dave, oh, 
I can't Danny remember. Morris? Yes, Danny Moe? Danny, yes, Danny Moe. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Awesome. Yeah, he was great too. The first day I walked in, he pulled out a book of, of a bunch of James Jameson transcribed, you know, mm-hmm. bass lines. And I was like, okay, this is going to work. This is going to be great. This is exactly what I want to be learning. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, I love that, that book. I'm yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So great. Before that, I had uh, an older dude. <laughs> I, I'm not going to remember. Uh, but he was more of a classical, upright guy. James Rapucci. Is that a... Oh, Rapucci. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was my first teacher. and I, It was a little more serious and... I don't know. I didn't feel like I was getting as much out of that as as learning applicable stuff like James Jamerson, you know. We were So you were you were a student, right? Did you take lessons? Um I mean those were my lesson teachers. Yeah, but prior to that, like did you oh. study bass before you went to Berkeley? Um not really. Like I I I played bass in in jazz band at my high school and I was always the guy that, that no one else would do it so I always ended up playing bass. Like like I was kind of talking about. So um I didn't really enjoy practicing so I learned to read so then I could just show up and play, you know? Because I wanted to I was playing keyboards or I was playing guitar or whatever else I wanted to do. Um so by the time I got going to Berkeley, it was like, well, the one, the, the instrument I can read the best on is the bass. So if I'm going to have as good a shot as I can, I, I might as well stick to that, you know? So it wasn't even until probably two years after Berkeley that I finally committed to being, okay, I'm a bass player. I'm just going to start calling myself that. I'm going to buy a good bass, you know? But I sort of, I don't know, backed into it reluctantly, I guess. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. For, for me, I... I just love the connectivity of it. Um, you know, at first I didn't want to be in the spotlight. I kind of liked being in the back, hidden with the drummer, and just kind of feeling the time and and uh, connecting with the other people on on stage. Um, you know, I, I've always been a bit um, of a nervous communicator. Like, I, yeah, I've just always been a little bit self conscious. So it was kind of my way of communicating. Um, right. Just being on stage and, and connecting musically with these people. Yeah. And, and the bass definitely has like a job to do. I think that's what makes it a little less fun. It's something I enjoy now. I mean, I've been doing it for 30 years now. So, you know, what are you going <laughs> to, you, you definitely connect to, to things. <laughs> and I, I enjoy the job of the bass, but when I was a kid and I had so much, I thought I had, I wanted to say having to do, you know what I mean? Like the bass has a job. I have to play the downbeat. I have to play the bass line. Whereas a guitar player, they can, ah, I'm going to do this on this chord now, or I'm going to, you know what I mean? They, there's more creative spaces in the band. So for me, I was just like, uh, I have to do this. You know what I mean? Yeah, now I appreciate it. Yeah. There's definitely a nurturing quality in being a bass player that you don't tend to have as like a, 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 a guitar soloist. You know, right. I think, uh, you know, maybe maybe a rhythm guitar player would have a little bit more of a nurturing quality. But, yeah, it's a whole personality right. thing. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, I think so. You got to be a leader of sorts and, and hold it down. <laughs> you hold it down while everyone else gets to play, you know. I don't know. <laughs> I sound bitter about it. I'm, I'm a, I have a happy life. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're awesome. You're awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'm a diver. 
I'd like to take a second to thank you for listening to the Dive Bar Rockstar podcast. As a new podcast, getting the word out is a vital part of what it takes to keep the show on the road. Uh, or off the road, as the current case may be. If you would like to support the podcast, all you gotta do is subscribe wherever you listen. And if you have an extra minute or two, please leave a review. You can also share and follow the podcast on your social media apps. Okay, enough begging. I hope you're having fun, and once again, thank you for listening. Wow, so how long after Berkeley did you end up here? Mm, okay, so let's see. I think, I think it was six years later, five or six years later uh, okay, after okay. I graduated. I was one of those people who graduated because, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I didn't, I, I took my GED. Like I didn't, you know, finish, I didn't complete high school. Like I got my, you know, diploma uh-huh, and, right. uh, you know, it was kind of like a sore subject for me. It was kind of like unfinished business where, you know, I wanted to make sure I finished right? You know, yeah. and did my time, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so yeah, when I got my, my degree, I have to say, I I was very exhausted and I was a little bit, I have to admit, I was a bit discouraged because there was so much information thrown at me Mm. and so much I wanted to absorb that I couldn't at the time. Um, And my my life was kind of going into a different place personally. So I was just kind of figuring, okay, I'll get another day job and do my weekend warrior stuff. And 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 that worked for several years until, you know, like you say, the universe does for you what you, you don't want to do for yourself. And, right. and um, you know, I just felt very drawn to make a move. You know, I was very drawn to go to L.A. Um, I had some friends out there, uh, out here. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, I made that conscious decision. That's um, cool. And you, you like it? Uh, I, I love it. Um, you know, uh, basically, you know, <laughs> I hate to skate around it because it's such a big part of my life. But, you know, I was married and I was married to another musician. And, you know, we had this, this duo that we would, we would play out in Boston all over, you know, like um, Quincy Market, and, you know, Faneuil mm-hmm. Hall. Right. And, um, we played this place, the Barking Crab, and uh, yeah. right on the water, and um, it was really great. We had a residency every weekend, you know, Friday through Sunday, and then we had our day jobs, oh. and it was very comfortable. But it got to the point where I needed something different, and I started writing my own music. You know, we we built a studio, and then I had I had a full length album that I wanted to finish, and. You know, like I think a lot of people do with their first recording project, they overproduce themselves. So then, you know, by that time, I just kind of exhausted that that idea and decided to do something else. Um, And then, you know, uh, my my husband at the time, he had the the friends out in L.A. that you know he was going to visit, and actually, I did too. I did too. <laughs> I, I forgot about this because we stayed at my friend's house. Um, and that first day we were there, um, one of them gave me a script, a screenplay, and she had us read it. And then we went to uh, Gladstone's in mm-hmm. Malibu. 
right. and we read the script and then like I, I just started hearing things. I just started hearing, you know, music and cues and everything. And when we went back, I was just kind of telling her, well, you know, we could do this, we could do that. And, and then all of a sudden I had a scoring gig. Wow. So then I was just like, okay, this is where I need to be. The universe is calling, you know? So yeah. I went, we went, we went, we went back to Boston and I, I wrote about two hours worth of scoring material. And, you know, eventually we went back to LA, you know, I was thinking that we were going to continue with, it, with this project. Mm. Um, and sure enough, they ended up having, you know, the, the budget was too high to do that movie, but they did a smaller budget film, which I wrote music for. So it was pretty exciting to, to kind of jump into that world so quickly. You know, it was kind of like, you know, that aha moment, oh, divine intervention hit, you know, the first day, all of a sudden I got work yeah. or, or like the idea of work. Let's just put it that way. Because, <laughs> you know, you, you learn really quickly out here that people say stuff and then you just don't know until it actually happens. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's probably one of the biggest differences from New York to LA. LA is a lot of talking. It's, it's not so direct. You know, people yeah. say stuff. They they don't necessarily lie about stuff. It's just a way laid back. Like, uh, yeah, man, things are gonna happen. Yeah, then, let's have coffee sometime. Yeah, <laughs> let's go for a hike. Yeah, right. That means that means we're <laughs> never gonna go for a hike. Yeah, we're no, never, never gonna get coffee. Never. <laughs> but if I need you, I'm gonna call you. And then yeah. once in a while, the phone rings, and you're like, oh wow, I just scored big. You know. So yeah. were you a film scoring major at Berkeley? No, it was just another thing that just kind of fell in my lap. It was just wow. kind of, it just happened so suddenly. And um, it was, it was really fun. You know, yeah. uh, I, I'd like to do more of that in the future. Yeah. Sure. Well, you've done all these big orchestration gigs, um, like the yes. orchestra symphony tributes and stuff. How did you get into all that? I mean, you obviously have those skills. Is that stuff that you learned at Berkeley? Or? No, it's another thing that just kind of fell in my lap. Um, wow. I was wow. working on a TV show, a Mexican TV show for several years. And it was one of those you know, moments. I have a lot of these moments where I'm just done with something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I took it as far as I could take it. So um, okay. I had to kind of you know, leave that job and decompress. And I took a month off and... I spent that month um, on my, my birthday gig. And uh -huh. for my birthday, I wanted to do a, a show, a tribute to Kate Bush and Susie and the Banshees. And, yeah, I was there. Uh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> um, so through that, I ended up learning how to, how to score through Finale because there was a lot of string parts. And, mm -hmm. and I wanted to make sure everyone got their charts and stuff so they didn't have to do all that work. You know, so... Right. That was my first intro to scoring and arranging an orchestration an orchestration. And from there, I ended up uh, working in some orche orchestral tributes with um, a friend of mine, Dan Kalisher. I, I think you know Dan, right? I don't know him and and his and his wife Alicia. And you know, uh, we ended up talking and he's like, oh yeah, yeah, we're doing this other tribute to Fleetwood Mac. And, you know, I know you're a big fan, you know, would you like to come on board? And then, you know, I started talking with the, the guy that was, you know, managing this and, and kind of producing this. And, and eventually he asked me if, if I would want to 
score it. It was just so random. It was really random. And prior to that, I only did one other orchestration, and it was for the um, Wild Honey uh, Autism Think Tank uh, benefit, and it was uh, the music of the Beach Boys. So I did all the horn arrangements for that, or, or I should say just you know, transcribed the horn arrangements for them. So, so it, was, it was a huge shift in my career, for sure, because you know, there I was sitting at home every day, just kind of transcribing and listening and absorbing yeah. all these details. And it was, it was amazing. Um, and, you know, I, was, I was writing for a 50-piece orchestra and you that's know, crazy. I, it, it was pretty insane. That's crazy to just jump into. That's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. You know, it, it was, it's kind of surreal when I think about it, you know, how that <laughs> all kind of came together because from that I ended up, you know, working with Nelly on this like hip hop symphony show wow. and then a whole bunch of others. Like uh, I, I worked with Wyclef John oh, and cool. that was, that was the hugest, uh, that was like, so much work <laughs> because, because Clef, you know, he, he writes like a DJ, you know, and um, we did uh, several working sessions through FaceTime and they were like five to six hours long. Wow. And, um, you know, originally I was like, I think I was commissioned to do 18 songs, mm -hmm. but what I didn't know was in those 18 songs, there was going to be mashups and medleys, oh. you oh. know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so like there were a couple like real huge experiences. Like I had to do like a four, you know, four song medley, and um, and it, it it got crazy because you know a lot of his stuff has has a uh, you know really tricky rhythms and and mm -hmm. uh, uh, arrangements and stuff, and it it was really exciting though. He he's such a fun guy. And he's so charismatic and inspiring, you know. Yeah. Well, your birthday gig was awesome. I haven't seen these others, but uh, <laughs> if it was anything like that, and that was kind of amazing too, because Kate Bush is such an intimate music, and it was at Molly Malone's at this bar, and tons of people there. But there were moments when you could hear a pin drop, you know, like it was going over so well. I mean, it was full of a lot of musicians too, so we tend to know how to listen better than normal drunk people, I guess. But um, it was really amazing. I thought it was so cool. Thank you. It was definitely a labor of love. And it was just one of those, you know, again, like it was, you know, the planets aligned and it just kind of moved my career in a different place. I'm sure you could relate to that, right? Yeah. I've, I've gone from smooth jazz to country. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> That's a sweet gig you've got though, you know, um, when, yeah. when there's not a quarantine, there's right. a lot of work there. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Dwight likes to work for sure. So it's, 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 I have no complaints. It's a great gig. And I do a lot of singing, which is kind of more what I dreamed of doing in the first place. So it's kind of me and Dwight just singing harmonies all night. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really fun gig. But again, I, sometimes when I, I wake up and I'm like, how did I get here? This is amazing. <laughs> well, it definitely, you know, it was, it was meant to be, you know, yeah. And yeah, what's yeah. really, I love this. Thank you for inviting me to do this. Uh, because I remember, you know, you and I get called for a lot of the same gigs in town. Right. 
I remember it took years before I actually met you. And I, I think I've called you a couple of times to sub or, you know, we're, yeah. And and we, yeah, we both get called for being those singing bass players in the, exactly. You know, yeah. And, there's not a lot of them in town, believe it or not, you know? So it's a, it's a good, good couple of skills to have. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah. Yeah, and we don't get paid twice as much. That's kind of the the crock of it all. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's also about keeping it fresh too for me. Like I I I, I kind of like to keep it fun and keep it challenging. Yeah, well, obviously. <laughs> and you're willing to just jump in and write for an orchestra. That's pretty awesome. I would be, I'm just so intimidated by that. And I love string parts and I do a lot of strings in my studio with on on when I'm producing tracks, but I've never quite had the you know the the balls yet to like hire an orchestra and actually do it you know um so i don't know why it's so intimidating to me but i i commend you for jumping in i don't know it's pretty amazing i, I appreciate that it, it was definitely surreal yeah mm. so you mentioned also the the show that you were on let me see if i get it right noches con platanito platanito yes ah he. That, I, I, I watch. I spent a good hour or so watching it online. Oh it's so crazy. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> and uh, I don't speak Spanish, so a lot of it was just over my head. But you know, but also they do all these weird skits, and it's basically hosted by a guy in a clown suit. Mm-hmm. And uh, so a lot of it is sort of visual humor that you don't. Do you speak Spanish? No. No. So. I don't know. Was it a fun show to make? It looks totally well, it, it was. It was tr- complete insanity. And what's really hilarious <laughs> is that um, I got that gig through a salsa band that um, I still play with. But you know, it, originally the name was uh, La Salsa Divas, mm-hmm. and uh, now it's Las Chicas. Um, so I was all about playing salsa, and you know, uh, with with these salsa gigs, we also play a lot of cumbias, uh, which mm-hmm. is Mexican. Uh, uh, style mm-hmm. and uh, we we get called to do this audition no one told us what it is but, you know we, we knew it was a tv show and uh, we auditioned with some salsa like we know you know some Celia, Celia Cruz and mm-hmm. um, and then we're like okay what else do you know you know like okay we played a cumbia it's like hey do you know any pop tunes and and I was the only uh, American you know pop girl so uh-huh. So, um, you know, I, I ended up kind of helping the band kind of figure out something, you know, a, like a Beyonce tune and uh, Crazy in Love. That's what we did. Oh, yeah. And uh, we ended up getting the gig. And then Crazy in Love ended up being the theme song. Oh, that's crazy. For the show. Yeah. And it was pretty bizarre. But the more, what's more bizarre than that <laughs> is that the musical director could not speak English when I first got the gig. So when he was telling us, he was giving us cues, he was saying everything in Spanish. Mm. And instead of um, telling us to play a C or a B or an A, he would say it in solfege. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And, And he would say it in Mexican solfege, right? Or, or Spanish solfege, right? Right, right. So whenever he would say, oh, he would say la, I would play A, you know, sol, I would play G. But then he would say C, and then I would play C. Right. Right? But he meant B. Right. 
Yeah, interesting. Okay, so you know, yeah. I learned it as being oh, T-I, but mm-hmm. he he calls B S I C. Interesting. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that messed everything up. Oh, oh, it was just so, <laughs> so embarrassing. I mean, the whole thing was extremely humbling, yeah. and everything was sight reading. And this guy, he would, you know, we did a lot of banda music, which is mm-hmm. this really crazy you know almost feels lopsided music with with a whole bunch of of horns and and a a, a trombone and, and a tuba uh, and and he gave me all these tuba parts and everything uh, was written like an octave at least in an octave above where i should be playing it right. so to sight read that you know on command was very stressful yeah. But you know, eventually over the years we 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 started getting it a little bit we we started be, being able to communicate better. You know, he started learning English, I started learning more Spanish. Right. Um, <laughs> and then we kind of modified those parts, but yeah, it was definitely uh such a learning experience to yeah. say the least. Um it's crazy. It was crazy. And then you'd have like, you know, pies being thrown in every direction, basketballs, just <laughs> random, random things. Yeah. I, I was just, I couldn't take my eyes off it. It was, it was amazing. <laughs> I'm like, give me another episode. This is, I don't even know what I'm looking at. This is just insanity, but, but it was awesome. Well, can you imagine how it felt to like stand there and listen to all these interviews and not know a word they're saying? <laughs> but yeah. you but what's really funny is that their mannerisms are so big. Like they were just so expressive that you could get an idea. Right. Get an yeah. idea of what they were saying. Yeah, so by right. the end of it, by the sixth year, I, I definitely understood a lot more than I could speak. Right. Right. That's cool. Yeah. I did spend, spend 12 years on the road with Keiko Matsui, you know, being surrounded by Japanese all the time. So I, I'm kind of familiar, but um at least she spoke enough English, you know, that we could communicate. But there was a lot of, especially in Japan. One time we went on this Japan tour and she decided that she wanted to give this, like maybe the fourth song in, she gave about a three minute speech all in Japanese. And three minutes when you're standing on stage in front of, you know, 1500 people, that's a long time. It feels really long when you don't understand what they're saying at all, you know, or what she's saying. Um, so I guess I could relate a little bit, but, but what a a cool show. So did you prefer that necessarily to like being on the road or did you like the TV work? Are you still do? It's not on anymore, right? Um, it just finished. Um, the last season was last fall, but I think that the show is still on, um, Estrella, Estrella TV. Oh, okay. I think it's still on at nine o'clock every night. Um, they That's just cool. do a lot of reruns. Um, yeah. But yeah, I prefer t- touring. I prefer pop music. Um, I learned a lot from that experience. It's definitely a gift to be able to, you know, jump in and play a lot of different styles on command. But, you know, um, I I felt like, you know, where I personally feel more comfortable is through, you know, pop music and and stuff I grew up listening to, you know, more organic music. Um, you know, not to say that if, if another TV gig came around, I, I would, I would jump for the opportunity. Right. You know? right. Um, 
because you know especially if it's american pop because you know i'm, I'm definitely a lot more versed in that but mm. i you know it's always been a dream of mine to to travel the world and and uh you know uh, be in a band you know i mm. i've always wanted that you know uh camaraderie and that connection with a band and uh it's been great though i mean i've had a little bit of that experience as well and i'm grateful so do you write your own music like are you do you consider yourself a songwriter as well well yeah i've done i've i've written i, I had a full-length record that i was going to um release in i guess it was 2004 um and that was back in boston um but once i moved out to la you know my my career kind of you know shifted to more of the side man uh kind of position right and um and i did uh start writing with fernando perdomo of uh Echo in the Canyon. I guess people would know right. it mostly from from that, but he's an amazing multi instrumental multi instrumentalist and producer. Um, and yeah, we had a couple of singles out a couple of years ago under the name Records and Tapes. And uh, yeah, so uh, I I'm pretty sure we're going to start you know writing again in the future, and I'm looking forward to that. That's cool. Yeah, I checked out. Um very, was it hard to... Hard to believe. Hard to believe. Yes. yes. Sorry. Yes. Very cool. Thank you. Like super melodic. And you guys' voices really cool together. Thanks. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. You know, um, and what's... That whole project came about through uh, our mutual love for Kate Bush as well, which was hilarious. Yeah. When I met him, we both were wearing Kate Bush t-shirts. What are the odds that <laughs> that would happen? And it was at the Kibitz room again. <laughs> wow. So he was like, I got to work with you. I got to work with you. So we ended up writing this song in like, you know, like 40 minutes or something. And, and Fernando, just his style, like we write the song and he's posting on Facebook. Like, that, <laughs> you know, like two seconds later, like, oh wow. my God, this song, you wouldn't believe it. You know, and then three weeks later, three weeks later, you know, uh, uh, we have our first gig and I'm like, Fernando, how are we going to do this? We only have one song, but by the end of it, we ended up having a full set. Right. Wow. You, know? well, you can just fill it in with Kate Bush songs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> actually did a cover of feel it. Um, but most of it uh, was definitely um, original stuff. Oh, and wow. We, so you just started was, writing and. Yeah. It was very wow. stressful though. I got to say, but um it was a great exercise, you know, right. just getting it done. And, um, yeah, I, I look forward to do more, doing more of that in the future for sure.
And when you're writing, are you writing on bass or your guitar or keyboards or? Um, you know, it comes from many different sources. Uh, with Fernando, um, I think he was he was playing guitar, and I just kind of, you know, started thinking about melodies and oh, cool. you know, and then um, and then uh, I think I I went to the piano. You know, uh, I'm I'm very comfortable with you know uh, just progressions on piano more so than the guitar. But you know, I do play a little bit of guitar as well. Um, and then, you know, at this point, I haven't really started a song with a bass line, but, you know, that is something that I'd like to do in the future, for sure. Right. You know, it's just, it's weird because, you know, it, it seems that, you know, I go to, two, I go to different things for different reasons. Like, I love bass because of the connectivity, the, the instant connectivity I have with other players in the band. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I, I look to the keyboard or the guitar to, to create more, mm-hmm. you know, to, um, yeah. to well, shape songs. I don't know if it makes sense. I don't know. It's just <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I picked up the guitar again. Like, I used to play guitar when I was a kid and then... I had spent 10 years playing the bass and then I, 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 it's kind of a long story, but I, I was playing with Lee Rittenauer and we opened up for Kenny Loggins and I was just like, I've been playing instrumental music for years what, and I'm a singer, you know, and it just inspired me to go buy a guitar and just start writing again. Um, but as soon as you play an E chord, it's a different feeling than what you can do on bass. You know, the bass is one note at a time. It's, it's a, you don't have the depth of harmony, you know, and, and it was just like, Oh, playing chords after playing bass for so long. I was like, Oh, I forgot about that feeling. You know, I mean, they both have their, you know, their, their reasons to exist. It's not a, like a judgment call, but it's just like when you're writing melodies and you have all that chordal stuff happening, you know, it's a different experience. Absolutely. And they, they have different functions. And I guess the police right. is the perfect example of that, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, a, a band like, you know, yes, Chris Squire wrote a lot of that stuff. So, you know, a lot of that was bass driven, I guess. Um, right. You know, Rush, you know, that stuff was very bass driven and every instrumental, every part was equally important. Right. You know? And and I would love to get into a situation like that in the future, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, again, those are bands, and I think they're all sort of together writing those songs. So you have everything right there. But sitting in a room by yourself, it's like, well, how can I get the most notes out of something? You know, that's why keyboards work. You know, I don't know. Yeah, and I find that when I write for someone else, it comes out a lot easier because I don't have like this um, personal connection to it as much like I, I get super critical to the point where you know it could stop me it, it could like hinder my progress as as a you know a, a writer right. so like you know when when i when i did that uh movie and i had to write for for that film you know the the director gave me uh the concept she gave me the setting, you know, what it's supposed right. to be about. And she, she told me what it's supposed to sound like, who, you know, who she imagined per, would perform it. So, you know, I, I did a song that was very much like Peaches. I did another song that sounded a little bit like Avril. Like, you know, so I was able to shape it towards that concept. And it was easier because, you know, I didn't have to get in the way of it or I right. didn't feel the need to get in the way of it. Right. Know? Yeah, that's really tricky. Yeah, it's tricky not to 
get caught up in your own stuff too. And I, I had a guy tell me once, like, don't ever write about anything personal. And then you listen to some of my favorite songwriters and like, it's all personal, but, it's, but I do think there's a balance. You know, I think if, if it gets too personal, it almost becomes like you're, as a listener, you're like, I don't think I should be hearing about this. You know, this seems like, yeah. am I even in this conversation? You know? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit, it becomes a bit of a confessional, right? right. So, you know, and, and I think that's where I get a little, uh, you know, stuck too, because I am a very, you know, I, I am a very open person. You know, mm. I'm a very, you know, I, I love vulnerable people. I love people right. who are honest about who they are. You know, and I would love to have that in my music, but I don't want it to be obvious. You know, right. I think there should be a creative kind of arc to it where, you know, you don't have to tell them everything in, about your story. You don't have to, you know, you got to make it somewhat relatable, right. you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Mm. Oh, that's cool. Well, we should probably write a song together sometime. I would love that. <laughs> oh, my God. That'd be so fun. Yeah. Well, you write too, right? So I, I didn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have a few records out, and uh, lately I've been, uh, it's, as soon as the gig stopped, I just sort of happened on a, I don't want to say a publishing deal, but a publisher, I had got hooked up with a publisher who was looking for Yacht Rock songs, and so I did like four off the, just really quick, just, and it was so much fun to write that stuff because I love Michael McDonald and Hall and Oates and all that stuff. So um, I had a, that's probably the most recent stuff I wrote. It's not something I would put out necessarily, but so much fun. Yeah. Um, oh, it's so, so melodic. There's so much rich harmonies in that music and a lot of, yeah, like vocal harmonies and, and, you know, the chords are so rich, you know? Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. And you get to be, you get to play jazz. Yeah, yeah, it's pop music. You know what I mean. So well, Ambrosia was were masters with oh that. Oh my gosh! Yeah, speaking of that, I I played two gigs with Ambrosia because uh, Joe Puerta, their bass player, had soldier uh, shoulder surgery. Oh wow! So I filled in for him, and he sang on the gig. He didn't play, but he sang. You know, and I, I love their hits. You know, but I didn't really know that much about them as a band. And you were talking about how you recently just did the prog rock thing legit. Uh, when yeah. I started learning those songs, I was like, what? I mean, the rest of their catalog is prog rock, you know, from hell. It's, it's insane. Totally. You know, in like 13.8 into in the 12.9. I don't even, you know, the fractions at, at the end of each bar <laughs> are, are incredible, you know? So, yeah. man, one of the hardest gigs I thought I was like, just going to be playing these great little smooth jazz rock you know, yacht rock songs, but uh, so much fun. And, but to add to it, there's Joe Puerta standing in front of me, oh you my know, God. the whole night, just the guy who recorded these bass lines. And, you know, and we had done one Skype session together and then we were supposed to do a sound check rehearsal. And of course they were like, well, um, you know, they want us to sound check at one o'clock, but the gig's not till eight. So do you mind if we just move it back to like six? And then I'm like, yeah, as, as, as long as we got time to go through the songs and stuff. He's like, yeah, we probably won't, but you'll be good, right? Uh, like, um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know? So it was an experience, but oh my gosh, talk about, it's like they're deceptively, they're, they're yacht rock, yes, but then the rest of their songs are just 
crazy prog rock. It's so it's good stuff for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, that definitely captures a, a time too in music where, you know, people were more about more melodies and more challenging harmonies. You know, um, you know, that was the seventies, right? The mid seventies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think Hollow Notes were pretty prog in the beginning too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Probably a little on the softer side of it, but lots of chords, lots of melodies. And like that's my favorite stuff for sure. So having the opportunity to, to somebody asking me to write Yacht Rock, I'm like, hell yeah, I'll write Yacht Rock. <laughs> so cool. Oh, Actually, my. that was one of the gigs that um, I, I missed out on because of the quarantine. We, we were supposed to do this cruise. Um, I forgot the name of the cruise. It was the Moody Blues Cruise. Oh, cool. And um, Fernando and I were going to do like this whole 70s thing, this whole yacht rock thing. And, you know, it just kind of, it's coming back. I think, you know, 70s music is totally making a comeback. I mean, for years it was all about the 80s, but now Mm -hmm. it's like 70s or the 90s. Yeah. And if you have XM radio, they have a whole yacht rock channel that I I, I used to have it. I just, I let it expire recently. But, I just couldn't get off that channel. Like I was just listening to Yacht Rock, you know, twenty four seven. It's just oh yeah. So actually, I, I yeah, it's funny that you say that because you know I do these quarantine shows where you know on Facebook Live where I just play a bunch of requests and stuff. And the stuff that I really gravitate towards is the stuff like you know the Ambrosia, Nicolette Larson, you know Carly Simon, you yeah. know um, Carol King. You know, and uh, you know, random stuff like the Orleans, but you know, right. it, yeah. Love but it. yeah, Robbie Dupree. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, when is your next Facebook Live show? Do you do you schedule these, or you just you just do them at random? Or? Um, well, lately it's been random, but I'm hoping to do a steady one on Friday nights um, at 5 p.m. Pacific time, so you know my East Coast family could watch it at eight o'clock their time. Right. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm hoping that it'll become a, a weekly thing very soon. Very yeah. cool. Well, it's, it's probably our future. So yes, yes. You know, it, it's really cool because I, I get to like, you know, work on my guitar skills and my keyboard skills and stuff and, you know, revisit stuff that I've always wanted to do. Like there was one time where I just kind of, you know, made it like a karaoke session where i just like sang some of my my favorite stuff and uh, i sang like a barbara streisand yeah do you remember the main event yes yeah the movie yeah yeah like right yeah 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 totally it's so much fun i mean that song is is a ride that song just takes you on like a roller coaster ride and uh yeah so i i kind of make it fresh and silly and goofy and you know i i I think that's the trick too you know to to have fun with it you know make people smile and stuff and forget about things for a moment do you have any great advice for the up-and-coming next bass player that's going to take our jobs (laughs) 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 yeah i i think it's uh you know um i guess trust yourself and uh don't limit yourself to one thing, you know, it's, it's really, you know, it's great to be open to any kind of opportunity just because, you know, you may not be comfortable doing something. If you get an opportunity, take it. Right. That's, you know, cause you never know where it's going to lead you. Right. 
So you sang for Linda Ronstadt, apparently. Yeah, well, I, well, this is through the Peter connection. So, you know, Peter does a memoir. And, um, you know, we, we were on tour uh, a couple of months ago. And, you know, in his memoir show, he talks about how he managed and produced Linda. And um, her documentary was, uh, you know, it's, uh, coming out shortly and, uh, after that. And uh, she was also uh, honored at the Kennedy Awards. And um, wow. so in, in, he added a Linda song in the, in the show for me to sing. And I sang Blue Bayou. And, oh, okay. uh, yeah. And, and then we went to San Francisco at a, a club called Bimbo's, I think it's 365, and she showed up. Oh, man. So, yeah, yeah. And they told me that she might. They told me she might, but they didn't say it while we were on stage. But I kind of had a feeling she was out there. Right. And, um, yeah, it was a pretty exciting experience for me. And uh, I got to meet her afterwards, and it was just so surreal, uh, such an honor. And she's, she's such a, a sweet woman and so, so smart and brilliant. And, um, yeah, it was, it was quite a memory. It was quite an, an experience I'm really grateful for. <clears throat> wow. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah, it was really a great experience. I mean, it's one of those things that you never expect would happen. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm. She's, a, she's a legend. It's fun to bump elbows with legends for sure, you know, and heroes, you know. Well, yeah. And I was like, you're on stage with her manager and her producer. Right. And who built, you know, who, who discovered James Taylor. Yeah. You know, it was it's just. Surreal. Do you have those moments when you're on stage, like? Oh yeah. When you see the people that you're working with, and you're like, "Oh my God, I remember when I listened to their record, you know, 20 years, 30 years ago." You know. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever imagine that you would be playing with them? It's yeah, I know. It's my, those are the favorite. Those are my favorite times. You know, that's really why why I keep doing this. You know, there's a lot. It's. You know, it's a great life, obviously, and it's been really fun and it's turned out great, but it's a struggle as well. You know, there's some need to have those moments that you're talking about. There's some some pull towards just interacting with these people that inspires you so much and the, and uh, it's uh, it makes it all worth it. Yeah, and I don't know if you get this, but, you know, just when I think I'm out, you know, it's, it's kind of <laughs> like that, that Al Pacino thing. Just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in again. You know, yep. I have these moments like, okay, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the end of my career. Maybe there's nowhere else to go. And then sure enough, uh, uh, you know, uh, I get a phone call or yep. I get an email about something or, you know, someone remembers me from a couple of years back and, you know, revisits some project that, that happened you know, 15 years ago, you know, you just yeah. never know. But, you know, I feel like a part of, I think one of the things I, another thing I want to say is, uh, or, or the advice I want to give is, is trust the universe. You know, right. it's like, you know, see the signs, you know, if, right. if you, if you see that you have an opportunity again, it's like, seize the, the opportunity. If you have that opportunity, go for it. You know, it's, it's a message. It's a blessing. It's not, uh, you know, it's a gift to be able to do what we do. And, you know, we, 
we constantly need to be reminded of that too. If, you know, because if, if we're just by ourselves, you know, there's no one else motivating us. Like, you know, I, I'm here in this one apartment by myself and, and it could get very lonely and very isolating very quickly. And, right. you know, I could sit, sit in my thoughts, you know, way too long, you right. know, and yeah. get really depressed about things. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I could, you know, um, pick up the phone and, and call someone and, and then get deeply inspired. And then all of a sudden a song can come out of it. Right. Yeah. Well, it was so great talking to you. Yeah, Thank you fun. for coming on the show and, um, and, you know, telling us about yourself. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I had a great time. Man, I got a lot out of that conversation. A lot to take in. That was so great. I hope, I hope that was enjoyable for everyone listening. Um, I thought it was interesting her wanting to be in a band and wanting to have a voice on the bass and expressing herself because it's something I've sort of struggled with in my journey here on music because in the beginning I was in bands. Everyone kind of starts that way. You're in high school, you're trying to find friends and and people to play with and and getting like-minded people to get along for any sustained you know, amount of time just always seemed way too challenging. (laughs) For me, it's more like, I want a leader. Either there's a, either I'm the leader and you're the sideman, or I'm a sideman and you're the leader. Either way works for me. But to have some sort of leadership is always, you know, it works easier for me. But other people can't stand that model either, you know. And uh, obviously, she's more into the band thing. And and I think you have more of a say musically. Obviously, if you're a band person, versus, uh, and that's not always true. There, there there's a combination of the t- things. There's artists that have bands, so they are a leader, but you, they still want to hear what you have to say. You know, there's bands like older bands like Chicago that only have a few original members. So there's other guys that are sidemen in that band, but they're in that band. Um, but it's interesting. And I think being in a band is trickier. I think you're taking more of a risk financially in a way, because now you're trying to, to make this thing happen with your original music and having to sell that, trying to get signed, trying to get a following versus being a sideman. A lot of times you're just jumping on the coattails of, of what someone else has done. So it's a little easier from, it's been easier in my experience to just make money, you know, and to sustain my, sustain myself, uh, financially. So I don't know. It's, but it's, I think it's an important thing to find out about yourself and, and realize no, because it can shape your entire career. And I don't think that means you have to pick one or the other because a lot of people might have a sideman gig that financially supports their band that they're in as well. And they can all work together. But I just think it's a good thing to know about yourself and what you prefer so that you can navigate through this business in a way that's going to end up with you being happy and musically satisfied. Some things to clarify. Uh, she used the term shedding. Uh, which means to practice. The full term is uh, woodshedding. And the story that I heard at Berkeley, and if you have a different story, uh, please email me at fanmail at divebarrockstar.com. But the story I heard was about Charlie Parker, and he started playing his instrument. He went to play some jams and do some gigs, and he was just horrible. So he went away and spent a whole year just hanging out in his woodshed, shedding you know practicing honing his skills and then he came back and he was phenomenal so if you never heard the term shedding or wood shedding um you can do that i look look it up because i looked it up and i couldn't get a straight story but that's the story i heard 
Also, solfege, in case you don't know, is do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do, which is just another way of speaking music. And she, I was a little confused during the conversation because she kept saying C and she would play a B. And there's also another C that is the sharp of so. So do, re, mi, fa, so, C would be a half step above so. So I was a little confused, but she meant C being confused with T, which would be a half step below the root or, you know, a major seven above the root. So uh, anyways, uh, I was a little confused, but I listened back and now I get it. So hopefully you you, you probably knew it the whole time. But anyway, uh, also my teacher at Berkeley was John Rapucci and he was great. He's a great teacher. He's a great player. It was just not an awesome fit for me. Um, and of course, cool stuff comes from all places, lots of places, not just New York City. I just really love it there. Well, I hope you guys had a great time. Wow, you've made it to the end. I'm hoping it's because you completely enjoyed yourself and are now filled with knowledge and inspiration to move forward with your dreams. If that is the case and you would like to stay informed of new episodes, live events, and general news, please go to divebarrockstar.com and sign up for the mailing list. If you have any questions, comments, corrections, or complaints about anything you hear on the show, please email me at fanmail at divebarrockstar.com and you may even end up on the show. We at the Dive Bar Rockstar Podcast with all of our hearts, thank you for listening, and remember, it's all about dreams. <laughs>